Go work at camp. It'll change your life. You know why? Because you'll die. That's why. Literally. Beast. We'll talk it like a chick. <laughs> we'll work on the humility later. <laughs> but, so, yeah, so Kevin, excellent. I thought it was really good last week. We talked about the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. There it is. Uh, so we're going to really go through these final five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, which you know now. But we're going to really jump into it. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. We're going to look at these texts, uh, these verses, these five in a row. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, we're... To, oh, Caleb, yeah, you got your Bible, you know. It's right there. We're going to write your name in that one. Let's write your name in that one. So Exodus chapter 20, that's where we're going to be at. And the sixth commandment is, you shall not murder. Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered this. You probably have. Maybe you haven't. You just assumed. Have you ever wondered, why is, is murder wrong? Why is it bad to kill people? Has anyone wondered that? Why in our society we think it's bad to take another person's life? Kevin, have you ever thought that? Okay, that's good. That's good, because you work with children. Well, if we were to go down into down... That's the only reason, because he works with kids. Any other time, would be normal. No, I'm just kidding. He's from Detroit. It's not his fault. Have you, now, if, if we were to go into downtown Hendersonville and poll 50 people, what answers do you think they'd give for why it's bad to murder people? What do you think are some of those answers we might get? They'd probably be pretty interesting, some of them. I don't know. Will, what do you think we'd get? Just because it's just bad. Yeah. Yeah. We might get answers like, well, if society is going to operate, it's probably good that Jim doesn't go kill people willy-nilly. You know, that's just, or maybe answers like, well, it's just, it's just kind of the way it is. It's, just not, it's not good to kill people, which then a great follow-up question would be, well, then who gets to set that rule? Who gets to set that standard of what's good and what's what's not good. So there has to be some moral code that we all ascribe to, even if we don't want to admit it, even if the world doesn't want to admit it. We all have to follow and ascribe to some moral code and written on all of our hearts, and we know it intrinsically, murder is wrong. Now, as we read this, this, uh, this verse in the Hebrew, which we're not going to do because I don't know Hebrew yet. I will. Yeah. Two, two semesters of it. So I won't know it at all, but I'll get through it, hopefully. They're actually, the word used here is a very interesting word choice. The word used here for murder, I'm trying to find it in my notes. Where is it? I don't know where it went. Oh, well. Well, the word specifically for murder there has the concept of killing unlawfully. Now, now we, we may take this verse, thou shalt not murder. Some translations say you shall not kill, which isn't as strong because that makes us really think anytime, let's just say like after 9-11 when we were bombed, right, or attacked, and we went over and we fought terrorists and we defeated evil and killed people in the process. Now, we could look at that and think, well, we're breaking the sixth commandment here. Or let's say a police officer in defending a family from an attacker shoots and kills that attacker. Well, he's broken this commandment. The concept here is that you shall not take a life unlawfully. And sometimes we look in the Old Testament specifically, and um, there are some stories that are, are pretty shocking. Like, for instance, God commands the genocide of an entire people, the Canaanites, and God commands the Israelites to go in and kill them all. And we, we, we read that and we think, what on earth? That is terrible. But it's that concept of taking a life unlawfully. With that specific circumstance, when God tells you to do something, it is automatically right. But as we look at this, you shall not murder, there's a couple ways that we can take this. I don't think anyone here, you might have, but I don't think anyone here would just feel the urge to go out and kill somebody. But there are ways society tries to spin this that we all have to 
kind of work through in our own mind, there are a lot of ways that people break the sixth commandment. And some of those specific ways we're going to talk about here, one would be suicide. I mean, that is a prevalent issue, especially among teenagers, and it's horrible to do studies about that, just the amount of people taking their own lives for many, for many, many different reasons. Some may be pressure, some may be stress, some may be a horrible family situation. That just seems to be the natural inclination. I'm going to take my life. And the Bible here, with that concept of taking a life unlawfully, Life has intrinsic value. We kind of read that in our Constitution, right? You know, all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that they have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life has value because of the God and the creator who gives it. So we see here, actually, suicide is prohibited in many, many passages of Scripture, and it's always in reference to shame. Now, some people kind of present specifically that crisis of people to go through, and they kind of look at it as, as, especially for Christians, we're supposed to have hope in the world. We're supposed to find Christ as eternally satisfying. So we kind of look at it, interestingly, when Christians especially struggle with that, and we kind of look down on them sometimes in our pride. Well, the Bible does present suicide, self-murder, if we could look at it that way, as bad, as, an, as a sin, but nowhere does Scripture present it as an unpardonable sin. We believe that Scripture gives hope for everyone, for every situation. The gospel delivers us from sin, all types of sin, but suicide prohibited by the sixth commandment. Another one that we would all absolutely believe, this commandment prohibits abortion. Of course, Psalms 139 verse 13 says, You have formed my inward parts. You have knitted me together in my mother's womb. So when our biological lives begin at conception, You exist as a person in the image of God, created to honor God with that life, and that life deserves to be protected. This commandment prohibits abortion. This commandment also, on the flip side, prohibits euthanasia, killing specifically like old people, right? So if you draw the line at conception, well, we have to draw the line on the other side for elderly people as well. This commandment really holds the society together. We defend life because life is a gift from God to be used for His glory. So that alone could be an entire sermon series. But let's keep going to commandment number seven. You shall not commit adultery. Now when we, at our age group, in our circumstance, when, when we read this, I typically think, well, I'm, I'm good with this one. I'm not married. I don't think I really have to worry about that. But really, this commandment may seem like it doesn't apply to us. But when we think about the sin of adultery, we see selfishness. We see self-servingness. We see self-motivated actions. As Christians, we are called to live and to love sacrificially. So yes, we are not married at this point and having that temptation to cheat on a spouse, to commit adultery with either a man or a woman, but we can start to cultivate those relationships of loving, of serving, of being selfless, even now. Now, as we read the Mosaic Law, my mind immediately went to Old Testament law because we see this kind of shady area of maybe divorce, of maybe polygamy, and we think, hold up here, (laughs) that's bad, but... Isn't that allowed in, in the Old Testament? And exactly true. In, in Mosaic law, divorce and polygamy, marrying multiple people, uh, they were allowed, but Jesus comments on it. And whenever Jesus comments on something, and especially in the Old Testament, we, we take notice. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus acknowledges that Old Testament law lived in a a culture. It lived in a culture that in a perfect world, it wouldn't have been that way. 
But we are see here that we are commanded to be pure. We are, and Christ takes this concept of purity, of loving, of sacrificing, and he intensifies it. And we're going to look at a couple of these commandments that we think already are pretty foundational, but sometimes we can maybe make excuses for ourselves. Okay, well, that one doesn't apply to me. What Jesus does often, and he does it a lot in the, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he takes these Ten Commandments, some of them, and he intensifies them. He makes them bigger. He makes them deeper. He makes them harder to keep. And we wonder, well, why would Jesus do that? Well, we'll get to that. Jesus here intensifies these actions. In Christ, these actions become unthinkable. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.15, Your bodies are members of Christ. So we, as redeemed people, as daughters and sons of God, we are called to live a life above reproach, a life that points to Christ in everything we say, think, and do. Christ takes this commandment, and like I said, he intensifies it in the heart. He said in Matthew 5, But I say to you that everyone who even looks at a woman, specifically talking to men, to lust with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in her heart. And we sometimes think about that. We think, well, Jesus, hold up here. If you want people to follow you, if you want people to obey you and live a right life, why would you make the restrictions harder? Why, why would you make it more difficult to do what's right? Shouldn't we be maybe opening the front door here, making it easier to do what's right? Kind of that way be broader? Well, that's not what Jesus is after. Jesus is after perfection. And we look at ourselves, and I think, well, I'm pretty much, uh, that pretty much rules, rules me out. And that's the point. It does. It rules every single one of us out. Because apart from Christ, none of us are in salvation. None of us. On a side note to this, marriage is really a big deal to God. And marriage is a big deal to God because of what it represents. Think with me for a second here about Christ's relationship with the church. How is Christ presented in Scripture as the, as the groom, as the bridegroom? And he purchases his bride, the church, with a great price. That price is his life. So this image, this image of marriage, a man and a woman being joined together in holy matrimony, be, becoming one flesh, we quite literally see we are joined with Christ for all eternity. So when this concept of marriage is broken apart in our culture. That's why it's such a big deal. It's not just two people living and loving one another. No, no, no. This has much deeper implications. When our world and sin corrupts this beautiful picture of marriage, there is more at stake. If our li- in our lives, we should seek to cultivate a life of purity that reflects Christ in all our relationships. Now, I'm not going to turn this into a dating talk. I literally thought about it for a second. I was like, this would be a wonderful time, Rebecca. Isn't it going to be a wonderful time to talk about dating? No, it wouldn't be. But as you all begin to date in your lives, begin with this foundation. Pursue Christ in all of your relationships. Like I said, I'm not going to have a dating talk with you, but I'm sure that will happen at some point. So that's, that's all I'll say there. Pursue Christ and let Christ work all those things out for good. Commandment number eight, which is... You shall not, you shall not, I'm going to turn this around because it's really warm in here. I got you. I take care. I can read my audience. I know. Who should, who should I point it at? Lizzie, I'm pointing at you. He's like over there dying. I don't know why it's so warm. Why is it so, well, I guess it's warmer now. Oh, well. Memory number eight. I'm going to reel us back in here. You shall not steal. Now, theft is kind of a big deal because a theft sins against God in two specific ways. Number one, theft is a failure to trust in God's provision. Sometimes we may be tempted because we don't have something that we feel like we need. And that's oftentimes when people would rob a bank. They don't have money and they think they need money, so the only logical way to get it is to take it from someone else. 
But secondly, theft and stealing, it robs what God has intended for someone else. So when we think about stealing, we have to look at it in those two ways. The theologian and pastor A.W. Tozer said something pretty awesome, and I love this quote. He said, we, speaking about this concept, it's, it's the thought that we should always seek to serve God and bless others by giving and not taking. And, and this is what he said. He said, any temporal possession, no matter how great or how small, can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. I think sometimes we think at our age, well, we don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of possessions. We don't really have a lot of freedom. I can't really serve other people at this point. I just feel like I'm always taking. I'm taking time. I'm taking resources. I just feel like I'm kind of this, this leech. That's, that's how I felt growing up. I thought, well, I just, I, I want to do this. I want to love other people, but I don't feel like I can do that right now. I always felt like I was, a, you know, just I'm taking, I'm taking, I'm taking. But anything that is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. So you, you shall not steal. Commandment number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That was in verse 16. Now this immediately makes me think of kind of a legal situation, bearing false witness against my neighbor. Um, but this command refers to all of our interactions with others. Now while this command seems rather vague, there, there are a few New Testament passages that really shed a lot more light on it. And it sheds light on the heart behind this command. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, speaking to the Corinthians, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. In Ephesians, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. We see here that bearing false witness against your neighbor comes in a lot of different packages. It's not just straight up lying about somebody. No, no, no. Untrue and unkind gossip, which could damage one's neighbor, must not be named amongst a Christian. Now, we see lies all the time in the Bible. This is very common from the, even the very beginning. The, the serpent was the first liar. Well, also, I mean, Jacob lied and Laban lied. And a lie led to Christ's crucifixion. Ananias and Sapphira, well, they told just a little lie that they had given all their money. And we see with that it happened. They, they sold some property and they gave the proceeds to the church, which was a really good thing for them to do. But they lied about how much they had given. And ultimately they died because of it. They had kept some for themselves, for themselves and they had a right to do that, but lying was a sin. And I think sometimes in our lives, we treat our words casually and carelessly. It's something that I was challenged with early in my college career, in my college years, to, there's a principle in the Bible of let your yes be yes and your no be no. And part of integrity, part of growing and maturing is that when you say something, it should mean something. How many times as a child did you make a promise and have your fingers crossed behind your back, right? And it's like, oh, hold up. <laughs> it doesn't count anymore. And you're like, hold up, okay. The older we get, that doesn't really, that doesn't really hold water anymore in our interactions as you're talking to your boss and he says, hey, did you get all the electrical work done to code, right? Because if you don't, it's going to blow the house up. And you go, absolutely. <laughs> and he goes, hold up here. What happened? And you're like, 
it, it, it didn't count, boss. And he goes, all right, you're fired, and you owe a lot of money. No, no, we need to treat our words as that. They need to mean what we say they should mean. We cannot bear false witness specifically against our neighbor. And then the final commandment, commandment number 10, you shall not covet. Now, this entire verse bears with it the idea of sinfully desiring something that rightfully belongs to another. I don't know if you have this experience. I know I did growing up specifically. For me, there was one video game that meant more to me than anything in the universe. It was, you're going to love this, on the PlayStation 2, Lego Star Wars. I'm telling you, this is literally the greatest game ever. It was the complete saga. It was actually. I know. It was great. Now, here's the problem. I didn't have the, the complete saga at first. I had the original three movies, and all I wanted was the Lego Star Wars game from the prequel three movies. It's all I wanted. There were two separate games. My life wasn't complete until I had the other game. Little did I know in five years they were going to release both of them together. But then I was like 15, and it really didn't matter to me at that point, which is sad. But, you know, but all I wanted, I wanted that video game. And here's the thing. My friend Mark got that video game. Mark, Mark was an interesting fellow. I should tell you some Mark stories from time to time. Horrible basketball player. Horrible. But he was our point guard. He was always our point guard. He literally would pass, pass the ball off of my shin, out of bounds. And I'd get the turnover for it. Mark was an interesting kid, but Mark got that game. And I struggled. I struggled with this 10th commandment, you shall not covet. You know why? Because I wanted something that wasn't mine, and I sinfully desired that game. But maybe for you, it's not Lego Star Wars, the original trilogy, or the prequel trilogy, that's on me. Maybe for you, it's clothes that a friend has, or technology that somebody has, or video games, or money, or a car, or smarts, or a family situation, or friends. But maybe to you, you think, oh, I'm I'm good with this one. I don't, <laughs> I don't covet anything. I'm, thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty content. I mean, sure, I'd like to have some nice stuff, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Well, this is no sweet little sin that we just kind of brush under the rug. Listen to this list of sins from Romans and see where covetousness fits into the rank. Paul says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, heartless ruthless. And we read that and we're like, what? <laughs> you threw covetousness in there? <laughs> like, doesn't, uh, they also threw uh, disobedient to parents in there, which is like, Oops. <laughs> so we'll talk about that one later. That was last week. Now, I know all sin is sin. Absolutely. But as we read, especially that list, there are some serious sins that have some serious consequences. And it seems to me that Paul nestles covetousness right in between evil and malice for a specific reason. Because covetousness is pretty serious. Why is covetousness pretty serious? Because it ultimately says to God, God, you're, you're not doing this right. You're ordering my life in not a good way. It would be better, God, if you would give me that or if I could have that. I'd be content and satisfied if I had that or that situation. That is a 
horrible sin. Now, I don't know how you all respond to correction. I don't know how you respond to instruction. When I played sports, personally, I never liked it when coaches would like get in my face and scream at me. It never really worked with me. Number one, I would then struggle with hatred for that person for the next 30 minutes. But it would just, I would just shut down. It, just, it wasn't good. For me, if I was doing something wrong, let's say basketball, I, was, I would cross half line and I would just throw the ball at the backboard, right? Horrible teammate, terrible. If my coach would just scream at me and tell me how terrible of a human being I was, it wasn't going to help me. I, I was just going to shoot the ball 10 steps backwards. That's what I was tempted to do at that point. No, no. It was much better if someone would put their arm around me and say, Ben, I don't know if you thought about this, um, but uh, you know, Jimmy is under there, and he's like seven foot three, and you just give it to him, and he'll score every single time. I'm like, oh, I never thought about that. I'm not going to give it to Mark. I'll give it to Jimmy, because Mark was terrible at basketball. But as I, <laughs> I would shut down, walk away, and just not enjoy basketball for the rest of the game. Now, when I read through these commandments, it's a lot of negatives. You shall not. You shall not do this. Don't do this. And that's good. Absolutely, we need this. And oftentimes in our lives, we, we need a lot more of this. I know I do specifically. But as I was reading through these, I was wondering what it would look like to put these Ten Commandments in a positive light. Sometimes there's a lot of negative. We get told no, 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 no. And sometimes maybe just saying do this would be very easy. So as I was thinking through this, I was meditating, I was wondering... Um, what this positive truth of Scripture would look like. So, we're going we're gonna to look at this. The, the Ten Commandments in the positive light. I imagine it would sound something similar to this. Child of God. God would say, serve me alone with everything you have. Allow nothing to take my place on the throne of your heart. Cherish and value my name and all that it stands for. And what it stands for for all of eternity. Rest and refresh yourself in the truth of Scripture. Love and honor your parents that God has given you because they represent my specific authority in your life. Value the lives that I have created by serving the sick and poor and the homeless and needy, not just with, with physical aid, but ultimately with the hope of the gospel. Value the relationships that God allows you to have in your life. Honor and respect the possessions God has allowed you to own. And do your best to respect the possessions of others. Speak God-honoring, Christ-exalting words that lift your neighbor's thoughts to glorify God. And finally, be content with the situations and circumstances God has allowed you to have in your life. Those characteristics should define the life of a true follower of Jesus. Now, not perfectly, we're not perfect. But that should be our, our desire. That should be what we strive for. Because the more you do know God... And you'll know him by spending time in his word, the more you will love him. Because you have to love him. Because that's who he is. He is love. He is beautiful. And the more you love him, the more you'll be inspired to love him more and to serve him with everything you have in your life. So those were the Ten Commandments. We've taken a couple weeks to look through them. We're really going to have one more, one more passage, one more message in Exodus before we jump into Leviticus. We've moved a lot quicker through this. But think through that Exodus, and I think it's very fitting that God tells us, as we're about to go in to see the, how we serve God, God's going to show us why we need to have specific rules in Leviticus, because we are unholy people. And we're going to see time and time again why God gives such strict rules and strict laws, because the children of Israel needed them, and we need them as well. So focus on these Ten Commandments. Do your best to honor God, 
and live a life that pleases Him. Let's pray. We'll go downstairs, go watch some football, and eat some tacos. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this great group of teens and the college-age kids and everyone else. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing in their lives and lives of this church. Pray that you'd bless us. Help us to live lives that point to you so we truly can claim you as our great God, which that you are. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for giving us the ability and the desire to serve you. Give us a good night. Keep us safe. Help us to enjoy the football game, Lord. Help us our conversation to honor and glorify you. We love you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.